Well, we're going to continue on in the book of Ephesians, and I want to do a little bit of a review first. And uh, I, I would say that today is one, I don't know how to ever say this, but I feel like the content of today's message is probably one of the most important messages that could be proclaimed. So I'm excited to be able to share the two verses we're going to share today, but I want to kind of go back and get a little context on the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to do just a little bit of a review with you. If I miss anything, you guys can be sure to tell me. So if, as you know, Ephesus was the, a city. It was at a, a major port city. Uh, it was a very metropolis area. It was a big business hub. And it was a place that was also known, even more known for its business, even known more than that, it was known as being a place of extreme idol worship. There were temples, especially the one to Artemis, uh, and it was kind of had infiltrated their whole uh, society. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that there were even some riots there in Ephesus when Paul came in and started preaching Christ. And then these people turned from their idol worship, the worship of Diana or Artemis, to Christ. And then all these people, they ended up bringing up millions of dollars worth of books and burning them, these uh, the, the books, the satanic books that they'd had. And so there was this big conversion there. And Paul's writing to the saints there. And the saints means the ones who are set apart. He's writing to the Christians there, the believers there. So here they live in this big businessy area that's very dark, very evil. And he's writing them this letter. That's the letter we're kind of getting to sneak uh, peek at here and to see what he's writing to them, what he wants them to know. So that's a little bit about who the, uh, the letter is to. And then I'm just going to very briefly cover some of the bullet points of what we've talked about so far. So today we're going to be covering verses 13 and 14. So we've only covered 12 verses so far. And these 12 verses, a couple of the main points is, we have been given every spiritual gift. Now, if you think about it, who he's talking to, he's talking to this group of believers who are coming out of a very spiritual-minded uh, world where you know, maybe if you worship this God, you'll get this gift. Or if you worship that God, you'll have this blessing or you'll have this power or this ability by worshiping. And what Paul says is, you've been given every spiritual gift, every spiritual blessing, rather. You've been given every spiritual blessing. And he starts to go through and list these. And generally speaking, one of the first ones he mentions is that you've been made children of God. That you're not only a worshiper of this deity, but actually this deity, the deity above all deities, God the Father, has made you one of his children. And it said there that he, it pleased him to do that. He wanted to make you his child. And then last week we saw that God has a plan. And we talked about these three R's, revelation, restoration, redemption. One, he's let us know his plan. And that's good news. It's nice to know that God would go, hey, I'm going to tell you the plan. We, we sometimes keep our plans hidden in case they aren't going to happen or we're not going to follow through on them or in case something comes up that, that sidelines our plans. We don't want everybody to know that and be embarrassed. God's not embarrassed to share his plan because when he makes a plan, his plan is. And he's like, I want you guys to know the plan. It brings us peace of mind. It, it gives us clarity. It gives us peace. It gives us stability 
in this world that seems topsy-turvy, right? To know God has a plan. And he let me know his plan. And he says his plan is for complete restoration, fixing everything that's broken. The world is a broken down place right now. We look at it and we can see how messed it is. But God says, I am going to fix all this one day. My son Jesus Christ is going to return and he will be king on earth. All people will worship him and everything will be restored. And then the, we talked about the fact that part of that fixing involves redeeming us. He purchased us out of slavery and forgave us our sins. And so that work has already started in us. You're like, so God has kind of already started this seed germinating that will one day fully bloom. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, our glorification. We're going to talk about that today. But it's already begun. We don't even have to wait to have God's work start in our lives. And it starts when he buys us out of the slave market. And what was the price he paid to buy us out? Yeah, his son's life. The blood of the son was the purchase price for our salvation. And so we can have God already beginning to work in our life. A couple of things that uh, the book is going to tell us. It tells us who God's made us, and we're talking a lot about that here for probably the first few months. And he tells us that so that we can live together in love, walk in holiness, and stand firm against the powers of darkness. And then it was we've been talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We've seen it. If you read through it, almost gets, I don't want to say annoying, it's God's word, so I, I'm not trying to be blasphemous here, but you kind of like, this is almost making it difficult to read. I mean, if we're honest, we're like, why does it keep saying? It's like, in him, and then another two words. It says, in him, and then another three words, in him. And it's because the point really needs to be made that all of this is possible because of Jesus Christ. All the spiritual blessing being adopted, being redeemed, being forgiven, and as we're going to see today, being sealed in, in the Holy Spirit is all possible because of what Jesus Christ has done and because we've become associated with him. It's not because we're great people, right? Look around the room. If you know each other even half a, a little bit, we're not all a bunch of great people in here. There's a few. A few of you guys are great, but not that great. But the reality is, none of us deserve any of this. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done, right? Okay. So I'm going to pray one more time, and then I want to talk about what we're going to talk about. So let's pray one more time. Father, I ask that you would work through your Holy Spirit and uh, through your word, and I pray that you would give each person here what they need. And um, again, I know that in myself, I'm not adequate to describe, explain, communicate these things. But I know that your word and your spirit are adequate to meet each person's need in here. You know right where they're at, what, right what they need to hear. So I pray that you would do that. I want to hand that over to you and ask that you would work through this message. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I gotta fix this color thing. That, that projector does not do it. It's, but I'll, I'll, let me just read it. What are some of the things that are necessary to make sure that something is 100% secure? Thank you, Jordan. 
So if you wanna make sure a bank's secure, you wanna make sure a home's secure, you wanna make sure your savings account is secure, what is one thing that's necessary? Research, okay, huh? A contract? A lock, okay. A guard? Trust, okay, good answers. Huh? Lateral? Oh, collateral, okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things we could look at there. One, some of the things that came to my mind was power or authority, right? If you're gonna make sure a bank is sure, there needs to be some kind of, whether it's a big powerful door, a powerful security system, a working security system, a bunch of armed guards, uh, whether it's your bank account, you, it needs to be backed by a bunch of money, right? Some kind of power, some resources, uh, powerful resources need to be there to, to do it. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, what happens when a person has no sense of security? Let's say it's financially or relationally or spiritually. What happens to that person? Fear, okay, what else? How will, how will fear affect a person? Make you desperate? Angry? Out of control, you'll be unstable, right? You're, wish, you're like, I don't know what's, which ends up. Do I trust, do I not trust? Yeah, if you're afraid someone's gonna break in, you know, five out of seven nights, and you're like, what's that? Is that the neighbor? Was that the, that, was that a, the dog? I don't, you're just gonna be wishy-washy. You're not gonna get good night's sleep for sure. Yeah, consume you, consume you. Now, let me just ask you, you don't have to answer this one uh, out loud, but have you ever doubted your salvation? That should be a question mark. Have you ever doubted your salvation, question mark? Or do you ever fear that you might lose your salvation? Kind of a tough. Do we want that's something we want to have security on, right? Eternal spiritual things like you can lose a limb, you can lose some money, you can make it back. But having security for eternity, and that's why I said this is one of those messages that's got content that's so important to us all. Because you can lose all your money, you can lose your health, you can lose all your friends, and I could keep going and going and going. You could lose your looks. Someone looks at happened. Um, <laughs> some of us never never had them to to lose, but uh, but losing your spiritual eternal life or security, it doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, that, there's no coming back from that. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, and we're going to answer this question. Is it possible to be 100% sure I'll make it to heaven? Is it possible to be 100% sure that I'll make it to heaven? Some of you already know the answer to that question, but we're going to talk about it and see why you have the answer you have. So the, the verses we're looking at are Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And I have to be honest, as I was putting this together, every version I looked at, they all... You know, there's all these different translations or versions of God's word. And as I looked at it, I would look at this version. I'm like, 
that communicates it accurately. That one's not so good, but it, that part is right. Well, this one, that part's right, but that part just seems confusing. That's worse. So I just want to say, if you want to go and look at some different versions of this, it may be helpful for, for you. I feel like this version communicated the ideas best. We're going to still just go through it. So let me read this to you. It says, And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed or trusted in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is down payment, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I don't know if you have your Bible with you. You can follow along in a different translation. But we want to talk. We see this phrase in here, having the seal of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us? What does having the seal of the Holy Spirit mean? So we're going to talk about a few different uh, points in that. One is being sealed. Two is the Holy Spirit of promise. It says that the promised Holy Spirit. And the guarantee of our inheritance. Those are all phrases that are in the verse. And so we want to kind of approach this again almost as a study and go, well, we need to know what these things mean. If it's talking about a seal of the Holy Spirit, I need to know what that means. If it's talking about guarantee of inheritance or down payment of inheritance, what does that even mean? So we're going to go through and just explain it, make sure we understand it, and then hopefully the application will make a lot of sense. But these are a couple things we're going to talk about right off the bat. So being sealed. You read our verse here, and it says, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, or some versions will say you were sealed in him. You were sealed with the spirit of promise, some of them say. But this this is an important word that we, to understand is this word sealed. What does that mean? I'm sealed. So it, it goes back to the idea, and the ancient seals, there's some pictures. Some of you have seen this before. It seems like in the 90s it was kind of a they were doing, they sold the wax thing and people were sealing, am I right, some of you crafters? It seemed like that was kind of a thing to do. Um, but what a seal did was it contained a unique personal sign of the owner. I think of like a brand for cattle, you know, like this, this cattle owner, uh, he has his certain brand and he marks his cattle with that. It's like, it's marked and that shows you it's specific to that one rancher that these are his property. And it confirms beyond a doubt the authenticity of a thing. So the idea here is like if it's one of these seals or signet rings, it says this is without a doubt, this is the real deal. This has been uh, with authority, this has been confirmed correct, right. It was the guarantee an item had been carried, delivered intact or unaltered. And, and so, you, you know, you'd see what if you got this letter and it had that seal on it, you know that no one had opened it up and tampered with it, right? We know that when we see an envelope that comes from the mail or, or something, or you see something that has a uh, um, notary stamp on it, same kind of idea as like a notary stamp. It's like it's showing the authenticity of that document. It's showing that it's valid. And this was typically used by wealthier those in authority. So your average Joe isn't going to have a signet ring. You know, if, it, if it's just a, a guy who's working at the local bakery, he's probably not going to have the money to buy a signet ring. So this is used of people who have authority or people who have the means uh, to accomplish 
the things that they set their mind to. So this idea of a seal is this idea of marking something and demonstrating possession of it. So you, you think about that cattle brand or those type of things, that, that's showing whose it is, who it belongs to. It's showing that it is beyond a doubt authentic and that it's been or will be delivered intact. And so let's just think about this spiritually. So if you've been marked with the seal of the spirit, that's your branding mark to show that you actually belong to God, that you have been marked out without a doubt, 100%, the, I have the owner's mark on me. And, uh, again, he is wealthy, rich in grace, and has authority, and he is the one who possesses me. Does that make sense? So we have been marked out by the Holy Spirit. And we are given, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, but we're given the seal of the Spirit upon belief. <clears throat> so everybody who believes gets this mark on them or receives the Holy Spirit. Now let's just talk a little bit more. It's the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the mark or the seal on us. It's God in us. We read in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, we read about the fact that you are the temple of God, that God dwells in us. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's the fact that we receive the Holy Spirit, that that is the Holy Spirit comes into our life, comes into our spirit, and makes us new. And so we have this spiritual mark upon our spirit. It's not on our outside. It's not on our forehead, right? You didn't put your faith and trust in Christ, and all of a sudden you got a brand mark across your forehead. And this would kind of almost have the opposite idea. I think this is part of the idea of why the mark of the beast comes in in the end times, by the way, because we are marked out as gods, and the mark of the beast is marking out people as following, belonging to somebody else. And so we don't have it on our forehead. We don't have it on our wrist. It's imprinted on our very spirit, the deepest part of us, the eternal part of us, the part of us that will exist forever, whether in heaven or whether in hell, that our spirit exists. And if you have that mark, you exist in heaven because you've been marked out as gods on your spirit. So it's like we have this, but it's not just a seal or a mark. It's not a physical thing that we get. It's not a certificate. I'm not, I'm not selling certificates of uh, God's seal for your life, or you pay this, or if you do that, we'll give you one of these certificates. It's something that you receive on your spirit, in your spirit, that is of God to mark you out and seal you as his possession. Make sense? It says here, when you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The idea of the promised here is that for generations, they were waiting for this to happen. They were told even in Joel, uh, they're told, uh, Jesus said it right before he went away. He said, before, uh, it's good that I am going so that I can send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so there was this promise that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so that is what we're marked with, the promised Holy Spirit. And then this, there's this phrase, the guarantee of our inheritance. Who is the down payment of our inheritance? 
until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So there's this idea, down payment and a redemption of the possession. I want to talk a little bit about that. So if you could just picture two different things here, the seal and then a down payment. So this word again in the translations that some of them use the word earnest. Some say down payment. Some say guarantees. Some say deposit. Rochelle, what's earnest money? Initial deposit. Initial deposit. And, and what's it do? It's given to say, like, we're going to buy this house. We're going to follow through with it. The word, this word for that's in Greek now has come to mean uh, an engagement ring. In modern Greek, that's the word. Arabon means an engagement ring. How is that similar to earnest money? How is an engagement ring and earnest money similar? It's a promise, right? It's, it's like this, we've started the process and we're going to follow through. As humans, we know that not all engagements follow through the way they should follow through. But the idea is, if we go back to our verse here, we've been given the Holy Spirit who is the down payment or the earnest money or the engagement ring until we are fully we fully possess our inheritance see that it says the, until the redemption of god's own possession the payment of our inheritance what is our inheritance going to be what are we going to inherit one of these days yeah we're going to we are going to inherit if i want to just boil it down make it really simple heaven and so we have this down payment we have god's engagement ring if you will on our spirit and we can't think about God. God is not fickle. That's the whole purpose of this passage is to give the believers stability. And says, you've been sealed by God. You've been marked as God's possession. And you've been given this Holy Spirit as a guarantee or as a down payment or as an engagement ring or as earnest money because you will be ultimately his possession and possess the inheritance that he gives you. It's as good as a done deal with God. So we look at this, and I feel like it's the weight of it is beyond being able to communicate because if you've ever doubted your salvation, and we're sitting in here in church and going through it in kind of a technical way, but if you've ever laid in bed or got up the next morning after some horrific choices you made and thought, am I going to heaven? Did I just lose my salvation based on the things I did? How do I know that God's going to keep me until the very end? And there's all kinds of even church doctrine and churches that preach, you can lose your salvation. You can just lose it. There's usually two sides of a coin that most, many, they'll say, if you're not living right, it's because you were never saved anyways. The other side of the coin that they'll present is you can lose your salvation if you don't keep living right. And so it just puts you in this flux of being this person that's like, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay saved. I'm not sure. If, and that's not what God wants for his people. 
He says, yes, you can be 100% sure of your salvation. And it's because of what God does for us. It's because he marks us out, he seals it, he puts the down payment down, and he is the one who will carry it through till the final transaction, which is the glorification of our body, mind, soul, all of that. We become made new again. He says, I'll carry it through. I started it. I started it by picking you. You remember that? We talked about the father picking us to be his sons and daughters. And through the son, we're redeemed, we're purchased. And he begins that work in us by forgiving us. And now here we see through the Holy Spirit, he says, it's going to be kept until it's totally accomplished. Kind of the way you might put this in a phrase is, God's got this. From A to Z, God's got me. We don't have to live insecure, fretful lives. A lot of us live our spiritual lives wondering if we're really loved, wondering if we're good enough, uh, wondering what's going to happen if we mess up. And God's saying, I love you. I chose you. I picked you. I bought you. I marked you. I'm keeping you until the very end. I'm not going to give up on you. Everybody else in your life may have given up on you. I'm not giving up on you. And we have people, and I'll use Paul for an example, believe Paul has put his faith and trust in Christ, and he went off and made some horrible choices. If Paul put his faith and trust in Christ, and he dies because of this incident, he'll immediately go into the presence of the Father. That's good news. Is that good news? That's the kind of news we need to live with. It keeps us solid when life, health, circumstances, government, society, other people, relationships are all in flux. But we can know for sure that we have eternal spiritual security. God gives us that promise. And it's not based on anything we can do. It's based on what he does. We can't keep our own salvation. We can't get our own salvation. But God can. And he marks us not just with some impersonal mark. He marks us with himself. Marks us with the Holy Spirit on our spirit. The permanent part of us. And he says, that's the down payment that can be cashed in later. Meaning we're going to make it from beginning to end. God's got us. You're like, well, dang, man, that's a good deal. So how do I get it? How do I get this seal? You guys got your checkbooks? <laughs> it says here in the passage, he says a message of truth and believing and trusting in Christ. So we go through the verse. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the first, there's something necessary here. If you want that seal, and let me tell you, you want that seal. Even if you don't realize you want it, you want that seal. I mean, if you're like, I'm not today. Hang on to this, because this is what you need to know to get that seal. First, you need to know the message of truth, which is the gospel or the good news about salvation. And if I boil all that down right now, that message of truth is Jesus Christ took care of your sins on the cross so you don't have to. That's the message of truth. 
Your sins were paid for by Jesus Christ. And so now he can offer you eternal life. He died, was crucified. He didn't just die. He was crucified. He gave up his life so that we could have life. And he conquered sin and conquered death to show he's more powerful than sin and death. You need to know that truth. Now, there's a lot of other things out there, messages. You got to be good enough. You got to quit this. You got to turn from every sin you've ever done. You got to stop doing this. You got to start doing that. As long as you're trying hard, and I don't know how many times I've talked to people, even in this church, and I've said, why do you think you should, uh, if you died today, where would you go? Heaven. Why do you know? Well, I'm trying to live for God. That doesn't cut it. That's not what God's word says, because none of us can do that well enough. But what he does say is if you know them. So there's all these wrong messages to believe. So first you need to know the right message, and the right message is Jesus Christ paid for your sins. And Jesus Christ offers you eternal life if you believe and trust in him. When you believed or trusted in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He didn't say when you give away half your money, when you stop all your bad habits, when you turn from this and do that, when you've attended church uh, you know, 16% of your life or whatever it is. Believing or trusting. The words, it's really just depend on how it's translated, but it's the word for faith. When you put your faith in Christ, not your faith in yourself, not your faith in the Catholic Church, not your faith in your parents' faith, not your faith in all the things you know about God, not your faith in, but you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine if you're on a boat, you fall overboard, and you're flailing in the water, you're flailing in the water, you're flailing in the water, and you know that captain. Let's say you know the, the whoever was captain of the boat or one of the deckhands or whatever. And you're like, I, can, I know all. They're, they're reaching out to, to help you and saying, grab my hand. I can save you. I can rescue you. And you're like, I know a lot of things about that guy. I know where he worked. I know where he went to high school. I know... What you know about that person does you no good at that point. You're like, yes, I need you to rescue me. You the person, and that's what we need, the person of Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in him to rescue us. Not what we know about Jesus. It's knowing that he is there to rescue us from our sin. And he's done what's necessary to rescue us from our sin. He says, when you believed or trusted in Christ, boom, that instant, you receive the mark, the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. You're marked out as God's possession for all of eternity. That's a good news message. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will secure our eternity. See how it's nothing about what we do or what we earn? It's simply saying, trust you. If the guy who reaches out says, like, I will rescue you, and then you reach up and say, yes, rescue me, I need you. Please rescue me. Do you have anything to brag about if you're saying, yes, I trusted that guy? Like, yeah, you should have seen it. I was flailing in the water, going under big gulps, gagging stuff, and I was all tangled up, and you know what I did? I trusted Trusted old deckhand Joe over there. You got nothing. I mean, you'd be an idiot to be bragging about anything. 
It's not about what we do. It's who we are trusting. They're the ones that do the saving. So why does, whoa, why does he seal us with the Holy Spirit? Why does he do all this? It's with the relationship with him. And it, to have a relationship with him, and in these passages, it's kind of flip-flopping. Some say it can be interpreted He's making us his possession. It's something he wants to do. He's wanting to make us his kids, not just a possession. His love just saturates this whole passage. But it's because he wants that oneness with us. Yeah, I was I was debating on how much to go into because we could go on a whole trail about the teaching of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit. Uh, does for us and, and really the holy spirit is the one who enables us to live for christ to have uh continue in a, in a relationship with him the, the, according to our passage here there are a variety of reasons and good and right reasons but according to our passage he does it for the praise of his glory let's look at our verse here Is it making somebody sick? <laughs> All right, let me skip that. It says he does this for the praise of his glory. Why use that dang computer thing, man? It says here, to the praise of his glory. That's a very churchy-sounding phrase, right? To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And I don't say that blas in, in a blasphemous way, but it, we can kind of just sounds churchy. What that means is to make his brilliance magnified. The idea of glory is a brilliance. I mean, do they, they tell you don't look at the sun, right? Because in all its glory, it'll burn your eyes out. Like, it's bright, it's shiny, it's brilliant. Now imagine looking at the sun through a telescope. Like, it's just going to just fry your eye because it's magnifying the brilliance and the glory. And when God does this, it says when he seals us and saves us for the day of redemption, it shows how bright and awesome his glory, his brilliance is. It takes his, his brilliance, his magnificence, and magnifies it. That's why he does it. Now, I want to make a point about that. It says he does it for that reason. That's one of the reasons. Now, if he's doing it for that reason, do you think he's going to lose a few in the mix? No. He's not going to do it to make himself glorified and honored and lifted up and go, oh, no, I misplaced a couple of those kids. Where'd they go? They didn't make it to the end. That's not going to magnify his brilliance. But taking some people like us, who simply say, I'm going to trust and put my faith in Jesus Christ to save me. And I'm going, I'm going to mark you out as my own. And I'm going to take you from this point to hopefully some growth. But definitely, I'm going to take you to the end and completion. And I'm going to perfect you. And you're going to be in glory. And you're going to live with me for eternity. Does that make God look awesome? It does. And it's not really about us. So if he's doing that for his glory, of course he's going to accomplish it. 
He's not going to lose us in the midst. He's not going to turn his back on us. That was not for his glory to do that. So if we kind of go back and, and, and look at what we've talked about, there's nothing more important than being spiritually secure. There's just absolutely nothing more important. There are important things, all kinds of important things, right? There's nothing more important than that. And I'll say that whether you agree with me, disagree with me, I'm right about that. I don't care what you think. And that's okay if you don't buy into it or if you don't, but that is true. There's just nothing more important than that. We need to remember that. Relationships are important. Our finances are important. Our life is important. Health is important, but there's nothing more important than that. And so the good news is that we can have eternal security simply by trusting Christ alone to rescue us. Not any of our good deeds, not church stuff. That's good news. So what did we start? Can I be 100% sure that I'll go to heaven? Can we be 100% sure? Yeah, the first thing to know is if you want to have that guarantee, you need to trust Christ. And you're like, well, I did that. But I still feel wishy-washy about it. I still don't know what... Well, then, you're missing this part. You're not resting in God's promise to us believers, to the trusters. You're not resting in it. We need to remember that it's his works that saves us, not our own. So that is good news. We can all walk out of here, and you can walk out of here and fail miserably. I personally believe you could turn your back on God. That's a very debatable issue. I believe God will keep you. I think he will keep you. Because to a degree, we all turn our back on God every single week. Where's the line? Debatable, theological debate. We can have that debate if you want to. But the good news is, by simply putting our faith and trust in him and saying, yes, rescue me. I need you. You made the payment for my sins. I need you to give me eternal life. He'll save us. <clears throat> and then when you've done that, you can know. You don't have to keep wrestling with, am I saved? Did I do enough? Did I believe hard enough? Did I... Because it's God's works in that to save us, to keep us. That's good news. So I would encourage you, you're like, okay, I've done those. I'm, I'm going to do that. Again, our, our ap application is celebration, meditation. Celebrate that. Enjoy it. Walk around with your shoulders back and your head high. You know you're going to heaven if you put your faith in Christ. Meditate on it. Think about it. You wake up and everything's crooked and this and that, and you get the phone call from the bill collector, and uh, you know, you got all these relationship issues. Meditate on the fact that you got a home in heaven where all that stuff's going to be taken care of. Celebrate what God's done and meditate on it through the week. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your son. We thank you that all of this is possible. We thank you for new life because of him. Thank you that we don't have to earn it. And I pray that anybody here who uh, has been confused about these things or has not put their trust in you, I pray that you would work in their heart. I know that's not my job, uh, not anybody else's here job, but your job to work in their heart, 
pray that people that are uh, have trusted in you but then feeling wishy-washy or uh, uncertain, doubtful, I pray that you would allow this verse to give them an anchor, these verses to anchor them, to stabilize them, and to, to help them to remember it's what you've done. Please bless each person here. Give them a good week, uh, enjoyable week, a refreshing week. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.